Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two weeks ago, I finally put away the remnants of our Christmas decorations. (laughs) Don't judge me. We were preparing for an engagement party we were hosting for our daughter and our future son-in-law. My last task was to sort through the Christmas cards that we received. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to recycle these great Christmas cards, especially the ones of sweet young families, photos of them. But one of the cards caught my attention. On the front was that familiar scene of the shepherds in the field and with the familiar message. And there was a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. And it gave me pause because the messages, the message connected so much with the Palm Sunday story, and I knew I'd be preaching on this today. The announcement of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is very similar. The great multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That once infant king is now being ushered into Jerusalem, the city of peace, heralded, heralded by his followers as Messiah and the promise of God. We traditionally call this Jesus' triumphal entry, but it really wasn't triumphal at all. He was on the back of a donkey, after all, and his followers weren't exactly an imperial army. Now, contrasted with the Roman ruler Pilate, who at the same time was entering on the other side of the city in another gate on a white stallion, surrounded by military protection. It is the beginning of Passover, and there were thousands of Jews who came to Jerusalem. And Pilate makes clear that the empire is in power. And even though Jesus never wielded a weapon, Pilate wanted no confusion about who was in charge, and he intended to keep it that way. I read yesterday that on the day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral in April of 1968 at Ebenezer Baptist Church, Georgia Governor Lester Maddox barricaded himself into the state capitol, surrounded by armed guards in riot gear. He ordered the police to shoot anyone who tried to get into the building. The power of the empire is always tenuous, and they know it. But there were no riots, no conflicts that day in Atlanta. It was a city of peace. 
Quaker pacifists have a saying, if you work for peace, prepare for conflict. And Dr. King, in the way of Jesus, knew that the way to usher in God's reign and God's peace was through the power of love and nonviolence. But love and nonviolence often usher in division and conflict in opposition to the world's power. Jesus on a simple donkey is surrounded not by military power, but by a crowd of hope-filled followers desperate to believe that Jesus was the incarnate promise of God sent to save them. And the text says the disciples had witnessed deeds, Jesus' deeds of power. But if his disciples had really been paying attention to his words and his deeds, they would have understood what kind of power this Messiah incarnated. The deeds of power they had experienced themselves was not imperial power. Jesus healed the sick. He broke down barriers. He set people free of their afflictions. He lifted up the brokenhearted He drew to himself those who lived on the margins, those who were forbidden entry to spaces of power. But the disciples didn't comprehend that Jesus didn't come to exert power over the world, but to empty himself into it. As the ancient hymn from Philippians 2 proclaims, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Jesus pauses on his way into the city at the Mount of Olives, about a half mile from the city gate, and he sends his disciples to to acquire a never-ridden donkey's colt. In 2009, my husband Tim and I led a group of members from our last, last church on an educational tour of Israel and Palestine, and Jerusalem was our last stop. And I remember standing with everyone at the gate in Jerusalem through which Jesus entered, and I tried to imagine this Palm Sunday scene. The Mount of Olives rose behind us, looking very much like it did 2,000 years ago. I stood there for several minutes, contemplating that moment, that scene. I could imagine the crowd of his disciples, not just 12, but many followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And I could imagine the streets teeming with people. And I could imagine the cloaks strewn in order to make the path smooth smooth for Jesus' ride. The laying down of cloaks indicated that someone important was coming. And I could hear the voices of children and the elderly, sick and lame, 
the poor and the rich, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna was not a way of saying, you're awesome. Hosanna was a way of saying, save us. We need you. Liberate us. I could also hear the scolding of the Pharisees saying to Jesus, order your disciples to shut up. And Jesus responded, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. I could feel the heat of the crowd, and I could smell the smell of the beasts of burden, the donkeys and the camels, all of those walking into the city. Now, I'm going to take an aside here for a little story. My experience on the Mount of Olives in 2009, camels are wickedly smelly creatures. On that trip, our group spent some time among the ancient olive trees and went up to the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem at sunset. And we could hear the call to prayer, the Muslim call to prayer, wafting over the city. And it was really a profoundly spiritual moment. And we were all in that spiritual moment, you know, experience. And all of a sudden, this terrible odor wafted up around me. And I didn't want to ruin the moment, right, by looking around and looking, you know, seeing if other people were offended by this smell. But I finally had to. And literally, a camel had climbed right behind me and lay down at my feet. And so I turned around and this stench of camel was was at my feet. So I Camels are astoundingly quiet creatures as well. So I digress. As I tried to imagine this Palm Sunday scene, I tried to feel the emotion of the one who was riding on the colt. I tried to imagine what emotion was expressed on Jesus' face. Was he wearing a grimace? Was he smiling? Was his brow furrowed? Did he really know What was ahead for him? And in one of the most moving scenes in the Gospels, Jesus comes near to the city, and while overlooking it or looking over it, he weeps. He weeps because he is overcome with heartache and sadness and sorrow for his people. He laments, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. The tension is in the air. We can feel the mixture of pain and power, of glory and promise, of joy and sorrow. And we can imagine ourselves, I hope, in the fickle crowd, wanting to believe, wanting to be hopeful, but also on the brink of betraying him if he didn't follow through with his promise. In this scene, the disciples are cheering on Jesus, but we know that soon enough, most of them will be calling for his execution. Some will leave the city and some will deny ever knowing him. We tell this story 
every year at the start of Holy Week because this is our story. Today's strange scene of the promise of God riding on the back of a donkey assures us that our faith will not be a path strewn with cloaks of confidence and comfort or logic. Jesus didn't march into Jerusalem with pomp and circumstance. He entered humbly, unexpectedly, with a heart full of turmoil. Jesus didn't march into Jerusalem certain of what was ahead. He entered in with the trust that the Father was with him. Jesus didn't march into Jerusalem scanning the crowd to see who was watching. He entered in aware that he rode for an audience of one. Therefore, we can find comfort, encouragement, because we don't march into a relationship with God certain of ourselves. Ambivalence and ambiguity might be our companions. And we don't march into church each week confident in our beliefs. We enter in open to experiencing mystery. And we don't march into our faith free of doubt. We enter into our faith by trusting God believes in us more than we believe in God. And God's belief in us is what truly matters. We enter into faith with humble hearts. We know we will stumble. We'll take a few steps forward and a few steps back. And some days we will lag behind the crowd or just blandly blend in. But this day, We look forward, we look ahead to where the promise of God is heading. And we dare to follow his pain and suffering. We move into the holiest of weeks today, keeping our eyes on the servant king, whose deeds of power are the deeds of sacrificial love that make for the way of peace. Friends, may it be so. May it be so. Amen.